You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net. And thanks for joining us. So we're back in our Jeremiah series today, chapters 18 and 19. And today we're going to be talking about the potter and the clay. Uh, But just to get a little bit of a a background on what we've been doing. By the way, if you don't know who I am, my name is Gabe Myers, I'm the pastor of Hispanic Ministries here. So at two o'clock this afternoon, uh, we'll have a service in this room, and uh, usually you'll find me there. Uh, but today I get to open God's Word, and these two chapters, um, and, and the, just the power behind the visual images. I love how uh, Jeremiah is full of all of these graphic, these, these visual images to help us understand and to help his people understand God's heart. And some of them, um, one of the, I don't know if you remember all of these, but at the beginning there was this one. So a boiling pot uh, pouring from the north. Jeremiah has this vision and he's seeing this pot of just overflowing of boiling water and it's coming down over Israel. And it's it, God's saying, I'm sending disaster from the north and it's coming down. And so, um, that's one of the visions, and it's helping. It's, it's trying to help people understand there are consequences coming. There's judgment coming. And uh, Jeremiah keeps preaching. And then there's some other visions. One of the ones that I absolutely loved was this one of, of uh, Israel and Judah pursuing or digging their own broken cisterns when God is a source of living water, streams of living water, and they're choosing to just follow their own ways. And last week, Jay, uh, Jay mentioned, well, we will, I'll get to that in a second, but one of the things that we talked about in the third service at Comunidad was this picture of that, of that idea, of how often we pursue so many different things on the left side, you know, God's over there in the corner. And maybe in our lives, we, we have all these things that we focus on and we pursue and God is part of it, but he's over there on the side, just like an add-on to my life. Maybe he's a Sunday thing, you know, something we do every now and then, or maybe right before I eat. That's when God's part of my life. And yet, over on the right, God's saying, I would like all of the things you do in life flow from, from a relationship with me. What if I was at the center and you pursued everything according to my design for your life? Wouldn't that be far greater? And he's saying, I am, I am the source of living water. Uh, last week, Jay made the statement about saving faith. He said, faith is believing that whatever God says can be trusted. And then there was this picture. <laughs> and God was saying, Judah, you can either be a bush in the desert if you, you trust yourself and you can trust in yourself or others, or you can trust the gods of the, of the culture around you, and you can end up like this bush in the desert, or you can trust in God and be like this tree that is planted, that, that is rooted and established and is just flourishing. What's your choice? But you have to choose to believe and trust God in your life. And so that's, that's what these pictures are amazing. And in this chapter that we're going to, these two chapters we're going to look at today, again, there's another picture. But I was just talking to a group of guys a few weeks ago, and one of them, um, we were just talking a little bit about stories, and, and two of the guys shared a little bit about themselves, and one of them said, um, he said, I don't, I grew up in a home in Mexico, and I never really knew my dad. He was a, 
He was a, he was a mujeriego. <laughs> he was a he was a womanizer. Basically, he had, you know, he had a lady over here, one over there, and after a while, he'd get tired of it, and so his commitment level was out the window. Responsibility wasn't even there. He really didn't take care of the kids. He didn't really know us, but he would have kids here and there. I don't know how many siblings I have. I have brothers and sisters everywhere, but that's where I grew up, so I grew up on the streets, and so I was just thinking, I'm like, well, like, where did you, how, how do you learn to be a man? How do you learn to be responsible? How to treat a woman? How do you learn to, you know, just commit to work and without someone? And, and he said, I didn't have that. I didn't have it. So I grew up on the streets, and I made a lot of the same mistakes my dad made. And then this other guy who's in the group, he said, well, I don't know what you guys are going to think about me, but uh, I'm the guy who has a kid and I don't know where he is or where she is. I'm the guy who left, left someone out there somewhere. And you, you got two people on the opposing ends. And they're in the same room and they're sharing their lives openly. And as I think about what Jeremiah is trying to do in this picture, it just makes me wonder... What is your story? What is my story? What's it like? And I'm absolutely sure that all of us have brokenness in our lives. And a lot of times I think we cover it up or we ignore it. And that's the problem with Israel and Judah is they ignore their brokenness. They pretend it's not there or they don't care. And this is why we have so many pictures. God is saying, look, I want you to see this. It's important. If you don't see the problem, it's like a disease that you're ignoring. And so over and over we have these pictures, and that's what takes us to uh, this chapter, uh, chapters 18 and 19, the potter and the clay. That's the picture. And so here we are, chapter, uh, these are stories of brokenness, and I asked you the question, what is your story? And I want you to think about that as we go through this. Because yes, this is about Judah, but in the end, I think God is trying to speak to us. He's also, he wants us to consider that and then say, what about me? What does this have to do with me? So Jeremiah 18, this is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house and there I will give you a, my message. So I went down to the potter's house and I saw him working at the wheel. But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as seemed best to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me. He said, can I not do with you, Israel, as the potter does, declares the Lord. Like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand, Israel. Hmm. This is God, the potter. And he's saying, you're the clay. When I think about what God has been doing throughout history, you go back to our Genesis series and how the potter was forming the story from the beginning. He takes Abraham and he, he uh, makes this promise to Abraham uh, way, back, uh, way back in the Old Testament that through Abraham, he would bless the whole world. And so God had this design, this plan for his people. And he shapes and forms. And, and we remember the story of Abraham. It was up and down, up and down. And he's called the father of faith. And then Jacob, a man who was so deceitful and up and down and up and down, and yet God chooses him to create this nation called Israel. 
And over time, there's, there are these stories of what God does through Israel. But if you remember one, one point when Israel is taken out of, out of Egypt, they're brought to Mount Sinai and God invites Israel to come to the mountain because he has a plan for them. And in Exodus chapter 19, verses five through six, there's this little picture of the plan that God has for Israel. And it, it says this, now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, I love the if and so are going to just keep coming, coming back and coming back and coming back. But he says, if you obey and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole, although the whole world is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. He's not just talking about the tribe of Levi. We often think the priests were just the Levites. God's plan was for the whole nation of Israel to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Why? Because God's plan was to bless the whole world through Abraham. Imagine a whole nation of priests for the rest of the world. Kind of the plan. And these are the words you are to speak to the, the Israelites. And when I think about you know, fast forward a, a few thousand years and you, you go to First Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. God says about his church and his people, he says, you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a chosen nation. A nation. All the peoples. One nation. God's plan. He's the potter. And we are the clay. And this is, this is God at work. And, and I guess the question for us uh, is, what experiences have you lived in your life? And where is your hope placed? As in this story, um, God says, can I not do with you Israel as a potter does, declares the Lord. Like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand, Israel. And what happens in this, in this story is that the, the, the clay, as he's forming it, there might be, you know, a little bit of dirt in there. Or maybe as he starts to form and he has this plan in his head, you know, it doesn't quite turn out. The, the clay isn't cooperating. So he's like, okay, I'll just start over. He smashes it down and he starts over because he's a potter and he can do that. And I'm just wondering, are we trusting? Is our hope in him or is it somewhere else? Do we allow God to mold and shape our lives or are we like the stubborn clay? I got my own plan. I've got my own design. And how does that work? So God is the potter. And, and the third thing that I just want to point out in this chapter is that God is calling people to repent and turn to him. In these two chapters, uh, the big thing over and over again, he's calling his people to repent and turn to him. And this word, if, again, and then he'll say if, and then, and if he just goes back and forth with if, and then I will. If at any time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down, or destroyed, and if that nation, I warned, repents of its evil, then I will relent and not inflict on it the disaster I had planned. And if at another time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be built up and planted, and if it does evil in my sight and does not obey me, then I will reconsider the good I had intended to do for it. Now, therefore, say to the people of Judah and those living in Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says, look, 
I am preparing a disaster for you and devising a plan against you. The potter is working a plan. It's not a pretty one. He's shaping it. So turn from your evil ways, each one of you, and reform your ways and your actions. Why? Because if you go back, if you, re, if, 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 if you just do the right thing, maybe God will relent. Maybe he will reconsider. The way you respond causes God to reconsider his plan, to either relent. And when you go in history, has this happened before? Do you know this story? Story of a man named Jonah, right? He goes, he has his own plan, and God says, no, I have a plan for you. <laughs> and he's, I'm not going to do that, God. And God says, I'll take a big fish and make you do it. So he puts him in the belly of the fish, takes him to where he wants him, spits him out on the ground on the shores of, of where, where Nineveh would be. And Jonah's like, fine, I'll do it. He doesn't like the idea. He doesn't like the Ninevites. But he goes and he preaches. And the message is, in 40 days, God's going to destroy this place. God has a plan. Repent. What does it matter if God has a plan? Jonah's saying, repent. And in the end, they do repent, and God reconsiders, and he relents. He doesn't destroy them. At least not then. <laughs> And Jonah is very upset that God would reconsider. What, what, that, what is that? <laughs> the clay not liking what the potter does. But we do that all the time. And so God is calling people to repent. And Jeremiah 18, uh, God talks about this plan, but they will reply. He already knows the heart of Israel. God in his omniscience, he knows everything. And yet he still offers, and it's a real offer. It's a genuine offer. We're not robots. And so he says, you know, they basically will respond, it's no use. I'm not going to change. I can't change. I don't want to change. We will continue with our own plans. We will all follow the stubbornness of our evil hearts. The heart. In the last message, in Jeremiah 17, God said, you know, the heart is desperately wicked. And we're going to follow the plans of our own hearts. Therefore, this is what the Lord says, inquire among the nations. Who has ever heard anything like this? A most horrible thing has been done by virgin Israel. And then he goes on, does the snow of Lebanon ever vanish from its rocky slopes? Does, does it, uh, do its cool waters from distant shores, uh, sources ever stop flowing? In other words, it's like, do you ever stop seeing snow on Mount Hood? Do we ever stop getting water from it? It's like, usually you look up there, and there's usually at least some snow. Like, that's expected. And yet, Israel, yet my people have forgotten me. They burn incense to worthless idols. Have you ever forgotten somebody's name? Yeah, okay. You know, maybe you met him once, and you're like, oh, I can't forget your name. Remind me again, it happens to me all the time. I'm not very good at it. So if I don't remember your name, please don't get offended with me. Uh, I may have known, anyway. Uh, but it happens, right? But imagine 
someone like a brother or a wife or a husband. I've got six kids. Every now and then, you know, I'll mix them up and throw in the wrong name, right? It happens. But imagine intentionally putting aside that relationship for so long that you've forgotten this person's name. This is what God's saying. Throughout history, I've been working hard at blessing you, at bringing peace into your lives, at bringing, uh, restoring you. And, and what you've done, you've forgotten my name. I mean, we expect snow, we expect, these things are expected, but you forgetting my name? How is that possible? And yet this is what God's saying. It makes me, it makes me wonder uh, about us and, and the things that we go through. You know, I think about sometimes in our lives, like I said earlier, we pursue what we want to do and we pursue so many things in life and life is busy. And I wonder how important God's name is in our lives or a relationship with him or just looking for him. I think about my, my wife. And I think about some days I'll go without texting her. And originally we got cell phones and we got smartphones because we were going to say, okay, we're going to text each other more now. And then there are days when I don't. And I can feel it when I go home. I can feel it in the relationship. But I think about God and, and I'm wondering, you know, how can we choose to remember God this week? Wake up in the morning and say, okay, today I'm going to be intentional about spending some time with you. I'm going to look for you today. And as I go about my day, take that moment to pray. Take that moment to open God's word. Hopefully that's happening every day anyway. But take some time to choose to remember God, to be with him. Because obviously it's important to God. He loves us. He's in relationship with us, and he wants that intimacy. He's inviting us into relationship. This is, this is our God. And yet, he goes on, Jeremiah goes on talking about the disaster, what's going to happen with them. Their land will be an object of horror and of lasting scorn. All who pass will be appalled and will shake their heads. I'm going to go down to the end of this verse at the white section. I will show them my back and not my face in the day of their disaster. Why? Because they turned their backs on God. They completely pushed him away. We're going to see some more of that. They said, come, let's make plans against Jeremiah. <laughs> so they planned not just against the potter, but against his messenger, Jeremiah. And they, so come, let's attack him with our tongues and pay no attention to anything he says. Let's attack him. They've got plans to get rid of Jeremiah. And if you read, we're going to read the rest of the book, but just see what they're going to do to Jeremiah. It's pretty hard. Um, and yet Jeremiah's prayer, this is so interesting because if you go back and you look at how he used to pray for them and you look at this now. Listen to me, Lord. Hear what my accusers are saying. Should good be repaid with evil? Yet they have dug a pit for me. Remember that I stood before you and spoke on their behalf to turn your wrath away from them. So give their children over to famine. Hand them over to the power of the sword. Let their wives be made childless and widows. Let their men be put to death. Their young men slain by the sword in battle. Boy, the tone of this prayer. 
Wow, what, what a transformation. Verse 23, let them be overthrown before you. Deal with them in the time of your anger. This is coming from the prophet who used to beg God for them. And then God said, do not pray for them. I'm not, if you do, I'm not even going to listen to you. And then Jeremiah's got that prayer in chapter 12. He's like, God, why are wicked people prospering? What is going on? And God's like, uh, your own brothers in your house, they're going to betray you. And so now Jeremiah's prayer has turned. It makes me wonder, how is our prayer? Hopefully it's not like this for our kids, you know, for our family. But hopefully we are praying for the people around us. And hopefully we're sharing our stories and, and talking about what God's doing and what he's going to do and inviting people into relationship with God. And God reminds people of the consequences of their choices. This is starting to happen now, but the rest of the chapter, even chapter 19, is basically this reminder of what God is doing in, uh, of the consequences of people's choices. Here we go, chapter 19. This is what the Lord says. And this is the day before, he, or sometime before, he's at the potter's house watching him work. And I think about pots. I grew up in Paraguay, and when I was a young kid, we didn't have electricity, so not many refrigerators around. And sometimes in Paraguay, it gets 115, 120. It's hot. Um, and what we would have in most homes, we'd have what is called a cantaro. And I'm guessing there was something like this back then as well. But a cantaro is basically a big pot. And you would put it up somewhere in the center of the house where it's accessible. And usually there was a cup that would hang over it. And in the morning, you'd go to the well, you'd bring buckets of water, and you'd fill that. Because that would be your source of water, drinking water, throughout the day. That pot was important. <laughs> and if you went to somebody's house, a lot of times you walk places, you'd get there, there was that cup, you'd drink. At the end, you would usually swirl it around to clean it out, right? And anyway, but I'm just thinking... You know, that's my context growing up. I can't imagine what this guy's context growing up is for pots and how important they would have been. These are important. And yet God says, go and buy a, a, a clay jar from a potter. Take along some of the elders of the people and of the priests and go out to the valley of Ben-Hinnom. Near the entrance of the potsherd gate, there proclaim the words I tell you and say, hear the word of the Lord. You kings of Judah and people of Jerusalem, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Listen, I am going to bring a disaster on this place that will make the ears of everyone who hears it tingle. For they have forsaken me, and I'm going to skip down, and they have filled this place with the blood of the innocent. He's taking this to this place, to this valley called Ben-Hinnom, and it's called uh, they have built the high places of Baal to burn their children in the fire as burnt offerings to Baal. Something I did not command or mention, nor did it enter my mind. This place is called Topheth, and which just means the place of fire. I wonder why they named it that. Maybe it was because that was the place where they lit fires and burned their children to the gods, to Ashtoreth and to Molech. They burned their own children in sacrifice. And God's like, I'm the real God. That's never even crossed my mind. And God's basically going to say, I'm going to change the name of this place from place of fire. I'm going to call it the valley of slaughter. And in the New Testament, Jesus calls this place 
Gehenna, which is translated in our English, hell. So when people thought of hell, the picture was a place where you sacrificed your children. A place, a horrible place, a terrible place. And so this is what he says, and in this place I will ruin the plans of Judah and Jerusalem. In that place, you take the leaders there, you have them stand, and you, and you, bring, and you bring this jar, and you show them, you tell them, this is going to be a place of slaughter. And he goes on, I will devastate this city and make it an object of horror and scorn. He goes on to list a number of things that are going to happen. At the end of verse 10, then, he says, break the jar while those who go with you are watching. So, I brought a jar. And when I picked it up, I was like, man, that's kind of pretty. That's nice. But he takes it, and I was thinking, the lady at Goodwill said, what are you going to do with that thing? And I was like, I don't think you want to know. He said, break it. And basically, you will have pieces. It's not a jar anymore. It's broken. What's it going to take for you guys to see how broken you are? And that's what he's telling them. What's it going to take for you guys to realize? I mean, your, your children are being sacrificed. How messed up is this? And God's saying, I will smash this nation and this city just as this potter's jar is smashed and cannot be repaired. That's what, he, that's what he's saying. And he goes on, because, why? This is your fault. You're doing because you, they are, were stiff-necked and would not listen to my words. And that's how the chapter ends. And as I was thinking through this, I'm like, man, that's a horrible chapter. That is so sad. What's nice is that I've read the rest of the Bible. <laughs> and it doesn't end there. And that is actually just a picture for them to consider how broken they are. You go to the New Testament. Oh, actually, this picture, Jeremiah is talking about how horrible this is. Well, later he would see how horrible it really became. And then he prays this lament. In Lamentations chapter 4, just some little pieces of it. How the precious children of Zion, once worth their weight in gold are now considered as pots of clay, the work of a potter's hand. Because of thirst, the infant's tongue sticks to the roof of its mouth. The children beg for bread, but no one gives it to them. Those killed by the sword are better off than those who die of famine. Racked with hunger, they waste away for lack of food from the field. With their own hands, compassionate women have cooked their own children who became their food when my people were destroyed. Jeremiah got to see that.
Jeremiah got to see, remember his prayer? His prayer was, God, bring, bring your vengeance, bring your justice. And then he got to see it, and this is how he prayed. This is so hard. And yet it doesn't end there. You go to um, God's plan, even in Jeremiah, we're going to see this in a little bit, but his plan is to restore all those who turn to him. God's plan is to take broken pots. He can take broken pots and breathe life. (laughs) Just, I mean, he's the potter. He made the entire world. He creates life. He can take dead things and he can bring them back to life. And you go to Ephesians chapter 2, it says this, and I'd like to invite the worship team back up. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. God can take someone who is dead and breathe life into someone who is dead. That's what he's done. If you're a Jesus follower and you have a relationship with him, that's what he's done in your life. And these men that I shared about earlier, and I talked to them, you know, the guy who didn't have a dad growing up, I asked him, how how did you do it? And in the end, he said, you know, I have a father in heaven who teaches me what it's like to be a man. He teaches me what it means to be responsible and committed And now he's about to go back to Mexico where he's going to spend time with his grandchildren, his children. He's just going to invest in their lives. And he's been investing in people's lives right here in this community. God's transforming power in his life is so amazing. But I think about this other man who said, you know, I was the guy who had, had this woman, this child. I don't know where they are. Well, he has a family and kids. And he's invested in this community, and he's invested in his family. He is committed and responsible because God can take broken things, and he can breathe life into them. What's your story? If you're a Jesus follower, I want to challenge you. Share your story. Tell people what God has done in your life because it's important to recognize our brokenness, come to God, and talk about it. So I just want to encourage you, we're going to take some time and and continue to worship, and then we'll come back and close. Thank you for joining us for Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church here in Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net.